Many think that when you become more religious, it closes you off from the world, from sciences, from culture. And for me, it was the opposite. When I got more spiritually connected, I realized that everything takes on meaning. Like if God is the source, if there's a source to everything that we see and every person we meet and every aspect of nature, that means you can learn from it a lesson for your life. Hello, everyone. I'm Kelly Edwards, and you're listening to Let's Go Together. This is our last episode before we go on holiday break, and it's a good one. Alina Nikolova is the founder of the award-winning blog Muslim Travel Girl, the go-to website for Western Muslim-friendly travel that helps Muslims find halal travel destinations and provide expert travel tips. Daniel Bortz, a.k.a. the Millennial Rabbi, fuses ancient Jewish wisdom with today's culture through social media and public speaking. Rabbi Bortz travels the world, breaking the mold of what the typical Orthodox rabbi looks like. So just to jump into the conversation, how early on did you discover your love for travel? And Elena, we'll start with you. Right. I think my love for travel discovered me, really. I kind of grew up in traveling. My parents, when I was very little, about five or six, they were running a hotel. And I spent majority of my time in the hotel running around, pretending that I'm a receptionist or you know, going and checking out the rooms or sleeping over in the rooms. And when I was a teenager, we had our own hotel and I kind of, I was the only one speaking English. So I managed, you know, from cleaning to marketing or trying to do marketing to, you know, speaking with customers and things like that. And I was always fascinated with travel and seeing tourists and speaking with them and seeing different perspectives. And I am half Bulgarian, half Greek, and I have kind of lived in four different countries by now, about 10 years in Bulgaria, 10 years in Greece, 13, 10 years in the UK, three years in Qatar. So my life's been intertwined with travel and uh, different cultures. So yeah, really, it hasn't stopped since then, since I was born, I think, and it's still going. Wow, that's a pretty rich history <laughs> living abroad. <laughs> Whoa. And what about you, Daniel? Well, like Elena, so my father's South African, my mother's French Algerian, and they met on a blind date in Israel. I'm glad that worked out. And, and they got married and lived in South Africa where I was born. And then we moved when I was a baby. So I lost out on the beautiful accent to <laughs> Southern California. So, you know, growing up, like traveling to see my mother's family in France, we went to a lot of exotic places and it was really part of my kind of upbringing. So of course, like just to see new cultures and meet, I love meeting new people, even at a young age and different languages. Both my parents speak five languages each. I'm not as skilled was something that was, you know, something I always looked up to. I enjoyed that kind of the culture. All of us were four boys and when we were 13, we have what's called a bar mitzvah. Girls at 12, because girls are more mature than boys. It's at 12. <laughs> boys, 13. And when you become a bar mitzvah, you know, you celebrate the coming of age. My my parents wanted to make sure each of us didn't get lost in the shuffle. We had our quality time with them. So each they would take each of us on a trip. And uh, a personal trip just to be with them alone for a week or two. And my trip was to London, Switzerland, and Israel. And that was a very impactful experience, even at a young age, to go to the Western Wall and see see my, my father get emotional for the first time and wow. and learning about what that was. So that's amazing. I actually went to the Western Wall and I was overcome with an emotion that I still cannot describe to this day. And mm. I'm not sure if it was necessarily the beauty that I saw or just 
Israel is just a special place and it just overcomes you. Whether you're prepared or not, you will feel something when you are there. And so it's interesting that you said you saw your father become overwhelmed with emotion for the first time, because like many of us, seeing our fathers show any of that is kind of a rarity because they have this place in the world where they're always supposed to be strong and everything. Mm. So I thought that was actually really beautiful for you to experience that. Totally. And, and, you know, psychologically, you could say, oh, you know, you're looking at a place that had 3000, 4000 years of emotion towards it and history, and maybe that brings emotion. But to me, I think it's more spiritual. The Talmud says that the divine presence never left the Western wall. The analogy I like, when we pray, we have to pray towards Jerusalem. For Elena, I, I don't want to speak for, I think it's towards Mecca, right? Yeah. So when we pray towards Jerusalem, why? You know, if God is everywhere, why would you have to aim to like a location? And the idea that I love, the analogy is like a face. Like, why do we speak to each other's face if the soul is in the whole body? And the idea given is that the face is where the soul is most revealed. Like eyes are the windows to the soul. You can see, like you can understand the person better. So we like to say that Jerusalem is like the face for us, the face of the world, where even though God is everyone, you can connect spiritually wherever you are. There's a certain sanctity to the space where you feel, you feel a more powerful experience when you're there. There's something to space where you travel that every space you go to has a certain energy to it. Mm. Well, thank you for that. That definitely helps me decipher <laughs> what I was going through when I was there. Maybe also because, you know, when I said I was going to the Western Wall, everyone and their mother per se gave me a note to put into the Western Wall, right? Wow. And so as I, you know, put my best friends and my parents and my own, you know, I just became just like really overjoyed with like this really, really beautiful feeling and just feeling extremely centered and really just grateful because I know that a lot of people, you know, go to the Western Wall to have that moment. And here I am not necessarily knowing everything that it would entail, but it took over my being, whether I, like I said, like I was ready or not. And it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. Beautiful. What is your ultimate favorite vacation spot to go to? Alina? Right. Oh, I think there's so many. I Questions like this are like, oh, which one do I pick now? I would tell you one of the most exotic ones, just because I think it was so nice to be far out. We went to the Seychelles a couple of uh, years ago in the middle of the ocean. The nights were dark. You know, when you don't have anything around you that illuminates, it was beautiful. The beaches, the people, such a beautiful, beautiful place. So, yes, I think the Seychelles even better than the Maldives. Oh, wow. I just came back from the Maldives and it was phenomenal. So I haven't been to the Seychelles yet. So I guess I have something to compare to. I'll, I'll have to go there to say yes. which one is better and which water is prettier. Yeah. <laughs> Rabbi Daniel, what about you? You guys are inspiring me now during quarantine. These people, oh, man, <laughs> Seychelles and Maldives. Oh, my gosh. So for me, I'm drawn to Italy. Mm. And for me, it's the Malfi Coast. I, I went to Puglia this past the summer before, and that was beautiful as well, kind of untouched southern part of Italy. But Amalfi Coast, I was in Capri recently, and I went up the lift to go up to Mount, I think it's Mount Salerno. And when you reach the top, you don't really know how high you are. And then you look over the ledge and you see this like vastness, like it's not like the Pacific Ocean here that's kind of more wild there. It's just stillness. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was like very awe-inspiring, like one of those beautiful things I'd ever seen in my life. So for me, it's, it's, it would be the Amalfi Coast of Italy. Nice. 
Yeah, that's actually pretty phenomenal. Not only just in photos, but in real life. And anything, anything in Italy, for the most part, is like dreamy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think it's it's nice, and also Italians are very hospitable as well, mm. which makes your experience even better. Yes, they're like food here. Taste it all. It's the one place I can go in the world and eat everything and not have to come back to the States and say, well, how much did I gain this time? It's like, I don't know what they do, but the food is magical over there. Yeah. (laughs) So at what point in your life did you become fully devoted to your faith? And Rabbi Daniel, I love to start with you on this. So when I was about 16, I was a usual teenager. I was rebelling a lot, going, you know, partying and doing my thing. And I, around 16, 17, I started to just feel more of a spiritual connection that would later lead me at 18, 19 to really take steps to, I moved to Israel. I left college in California and I changed my life around, but it was already like, you know, sophomore, junior, senior of high school. I was already starting to connect more to it and learn more. And the learning actually came from the feeling. Like I was just feeling out of nowhere. I feel like it was a gift from above that kind of inspired me. And I wanted to learn what that was. And that kind of led me along a path. So. And what about you, Alina? Wow. Uh, well, I'm definitely still learning. I think <laughs> I became Muslim about 10 years ago and it wasn't an easy decision, but it's a totally different um, topic. But I think for me, I obviously teach and I help people get inspired by travel and being Muslim is part of, you know, part of my identity as a person. I still learn everything I can possibly about Islam because it's, there's so many things you can learn and develop as a person and get inspired by in religion or scripts or, you know, stories. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think I will continue to be a lifelong learner of Islam. One thing that faith-based travelers often have on their bucket list is making pilgrimage to the holy land of their particular religion. When we come back, I talk to Elena and Rabbi Daniel about the rite of passage that is making pilgrimage. We're back. Elena and Rabbi Daniel talked with me about how they discovered their love for Islam and Judaism. Part of being a traveler of faith is making pilgrimage to their respective holy lands. I wanted to know how their experiences making pilgrimage differed and what, if any, were the similarities. One thing that the both of your faiths have in common is the idea of making a pilgrimage. Although in the Jewish and Muslim faith, they're called two different things. Can you each tell me a little bit about making the pilgrimage and your first time experience it? And we'll start with you, Elena. Right. So I had to get married to get there. <laughs> so at first I had to find a husband, mm-hmm. which I did, thankfully. Uh, but women without a guardian, whether it's father or uncle, they cannot perform their religious pilgrimage and go to Saudi Arabia, where Mecca is and Medina, which are the two holy cities for Muslims. But I think it goes back to what Daniel said the first time I entered Mecca because it was something that, you know, you see in pictures and you you don't, you can't really grasp the emotional connection you will get with a place until you actually get there. And I think mm-hmm. what Daniel said about the Western Wall is the energy of people and the whole place just changes you. So when I entered, I think I was just in awe of the whole you know, there are certain procedures and rituals you have to do, but 
just you know taking a moment and stopping and looking around while you're because you have to circumvent the Kaaba you have to go around the Kaaba several times which is the the black stone that we see uh-huh. in majority of the photos and you just stop there and you know we, Muslims believe that on top of that is the throne of God just looking up and thinking wow this is this is where I'm standing at the moment. I think that emotional, it makes you cry, makes you smile. It just gives you all these emotions that you really, you know, you really can't deal with at the same time. Mm-hmm. And since then, I actually started writing about a, a big part of my website is how people can perform those rituals on a budget or on a cheaper because uh, until recently, they were very, very expensive. I mean, I don't know how it is about programming in Israel, but for pilgrimage in Mecca for a person, it could be $5,000. And although Muslims are required to go once a year, uh, once in their lifetime for Hajj, they can perform the smaller pilgrimage of Umrah, which is what I write about, as often as they want. But it was very expensive. And once I came back, I was like, you know what? I want Muslims to experience this. So I kind of went into my travel hacking and I just started writing about the best and cheapest possible way for people to go. And we've helped reach and people go over a million people actually have read the, the Umrah website details and deals and everything. So it's, it's a very proud moment for me. Of course, of course. And I'm sure people appreciate the hard work that you've put into the research so that it can be affordable yeah. for them to be able to do so. That's incredible. And Rabbi Daniel, please share. So in ancient times, there were three festivals in the year that the Jewish people would come up to the mountain of Jerusalem for. It was Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. And I think in English, festival of gathering, I'd have to look up the translations, but three major holidays in the year. You know, and, and I feel very grateful that, you know, from the year 70 CE until, until 1948, it wasn't very easy to do so. And, and now we have the luxury of being able to, to go up to Jerusalem if we want to. But without the temple in Jerusalem, we don't have the same pilgrimage obligation to all come up to Jerusalem on those holidays. However, the idea of going to Israel and to even, I, I read uh, recently that there's an opinion that to walk four steps in Israel assures you a place in the world to come. Just to show you mm. how important the land itself is in our in our religion, you know, there's there's birthright today. There's different opportunities that are given through sponsorships to give the opportunity for for Jewish people to make their way to Israel because you have to experience it at least you know at least once to go. But uh, pilgrimage in terms of Aliyah, there are many Jews around the world that are making what we call Aliyah, which means elevation, and they move to Israel. They start their life anew, whether because of, you know, a difficult circumstance or because it's something they've always wanted to do. And that's always been a part of, you know, every year in Passover, we say, L'shana habab Yerushalayim. Next year, may we see each other in Jerusalem. So, and we pray that direction. So it's very much a part of our mindset all the time. You know, there's there's four holy cities in Israel. Just an interesting fact. There's Jerusalem, which corresponds to the element of fire. There's Tiberias, which corresponds to the element of water. There's Hebron, Hebron, where the patriarchs and matriarchs are buried, which corresponds to earth. When you pray there and go there, it's so powerful because of the history. Some say Adam and Eve are buried there as well. And then you have uh, Tzfat, my favorite, which is the city of air. It's very high in the mountains. It's a mystical city. It's very quiet and everything's painted light blue. And, uh, you know, every part of the land has a different, brings out a different feeling in you. And I always try to, you know, go as often as I can and connect with even Americans or people around the world there because it brings out a different, a different feeling in them when, when they're there. So it's definitely a blessing. Throughout our conversation, 
it became very clear how Elena and Rabbi Daniel found their love of travel and religion. But I was very curious what led them to build side careers as faith-based travel influencers as well. So when did you decide to start a travel blog and making traveling the world a part of your brand, Elena? <laughs> how I started the blog is when I became a Muslim. And I don't see many Muslims traveling. I don't see many hijabi girls traveling by themselves because you obviously have all these, you know, questions about am I going to be stopped? Am I going to be asked to remove my scarf in various places? And it's that fear that actually stops you. And it's also the fear that stops you exploring different cultures and going to places that will open up your eyes to different experiences and how other people live. And it goes back to exactly what we were talking now. So I started, and the aim of the blog is to help Muslims travel and be confident travelers in their own identity. You know, we don't live in times where you have to hide your identity and we don't live in times that you have to pretend you're something you're not. I think it's time that we are more open, that we can show that we're Muslims, that we can show we're Jewish or Christian or whatever our religion is. Because this way we bring cultures together and we break barriers, we break misunderstandings and we kind of unite in a way better place. And I'll give you an example because as I grew up, I grew up in Greece where, you know, we have a very different context with Muslims due to 500 years, 400 years of occupation. And the whole idea of me becoming a Muslim was not only a religious party, it was also you deleting the whole history of your life. and you have to kind of reunite. And for me, my family and the way we reunited after because they weren't very happy was through travel. Mm. Going with my mom, I took her to so many trips so she can see that, you know, they're different people, they're different religious. And if you stay in one place together and you don't go out of your neighborhood or your country, it's very hard to get out of your bubble and actually see that the world is so much more than, you know, what you are familiar with. Absolutely. And it's exactly why I started the blog and it's exactly why I continue the blog today. And I hope that, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to see more and more Muslims traveling. I mean, I go to places, even in Greece this summer, there were so many Muslims. I thought I was the only Muslim in town. And then I just look around and every day I go out and I see another hijabi and another family with children. I'm like, wow, I'm not alone anymore. <laughs> you know, oh, that's awesome. And it was very nice. Yes. And Rabbi Daniel, why did you start your blog? Yeah, so many think that when you become more religious, it closes you off from the world, from sciences, from from culture. And for me, it was the opposite. Like growing up, I was like, okay, I need to be successful or I need to follow my passions. But I wasn't thinking about like the greater world and things like that. And when I got more spiritually connected, I realized that everything takes on meaning. Like if God is the source, if there's a source to everything that we see and every person we meet and every aspect of nature, that means you can learn from it a lesson for your life. Mm -hmm. So I, I was like, I got to create an Instagram. I got to create Facebook. I got to get out there at social media. And that's kind of how it started. And being somebody who grew up in the, you know, like an ADD generation, you know, quick, exciting, huh but still deep and inspiring. Like for me, it was perfect. I had these travel pics and sometimes I would just look at these travel pics and I would actually think about what I wanted to say from the picture. Like I would look at it and, and, and think about what it brought out in me. And it became kind of like, you know, like we kind of laugh at social media as this like fake superficial thing. But for me, it was like, it's literally like, it's like poetry or it's like a book. It's like me giving over my deepest feelings and thoughts through a visual 
uh, experience for somebody. And I found it very like empowering and a beautiful way to connect to the outside world. And, and on a very practical level, you know, the Amalfi Coast, somebody who might not be interested in learning a spiritual lesson and be like, okay, I'll look at this. And then you can throw in like what I really want to give over, which is the idea that's, that's behind it. So it's been a real blessing to be able to have social media in that, in that way. And everywhere we go, there's a Kabbalistic belief that there's like sparks of potential in that place. So everywhere you go, if you, if you appreciate the beauty of the mountains or you eat food in that place and you have gratitude for that food that's giving you life to, to fulfill your life's mission, you are now elevating that place in the world. We all have these journeys to places around the world. I like to document that and show how in each place you can kind of elevate your experience. I'll say this. That's like literally the best type of bait and switch situation. You're like, listen, you came here for the photo. However, I'm going to drop these gems on you right now. And I think that that's good (laughs) because at the end of the day, we're all so very easily impressionable. And so you never know, you know, what you can come across on social media and it can be something that could be actually great for your spirit. And I'm all about that. So I like it. You connect to people from around the world. It's, it's, yeah, it's a lot of potential. Absolutely. Have either of you ever faced any faith-based discrimination while traveling? I have not faced anything major. Honestly, just where I live and where I go, you know, things can come up throughout your lifetime. But traveling, thank God, it's been pretty, pretty safe. And like I said, there are certain places that I've gone to, even if it wasn't warranted, whether, you know, when I was in I was in Turkey and I was in Paris and certain parts of the world, like I, I sometimes wore a baseball hat. And I put in my tzitzit because you, you want to be, you want to take precautions because all it takes is one, one person who disagrees. It doesn't mean an entire country, mm-hmm. but thank God I, I have not had, I, I will say that when I was 18, I went on a trip called March of the Living. So it's uh, Jewish teenagers from around the world that walk the death walk that at the end of the Holocaust, they walked in Poland from Auschwitz to Birkenau. That was their final march. So it's kind of like a, it's like a walk that you do in pride that like we're alive still. Mm-hmm. And my time in Poland was a bit eerie. Like, you know, we were walking one time on, on Shabbat on Saturday and there was a group, it was like an army honoring procession from like World War II. Oh. And there was like 80 year old, 90 year old Polish soldiers. And we just kind of walked past each other, looking at each other. I'm like, what were you doing in 1944? Like, mm-hmm. So we had some incidents, you know, there's a Holocaust survivor who was like uh, kind of shouted at by like some neo-Nazis. But for the most mm-hmm. part, for myself, I've, I've not experienced anything. Thank God. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you say that because people don't, I think they, they put World War One and Two so far ago, so long ago. However, it really is not. So the fact that you being a young man and being able to participate in, in this, in a way, honoring of those who came before you, like trying to pay homage and to see, you know, people who served in that war and like you describing that walking past one another is very, very, very eerie. And so I, I wish people would not put the history so far behind us because it's really still very prevalent and present. I, I just want to share a more positive story. It was Saturday and all it was thousands of us. We went to an old synagogue in Krakow, I think, in Poland. And there was this old man who was leading the service. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of his service, a bunch of kids from the Chicago group started dancing and singing. And they were going like in a circle in the synagogue, which is kind of customary, but it was kind of interrupting the service. And I saw this, I was standing next to him, the old man in the front. And I saw him like turning around to watch. And my chaperone next to me said, he whispered to me, he said, this guy 
he grew up in the synagogue as a kid. He was part of the choir before the war. Wow. And then he went through the Holocaust and he, he came back to like lead the service. And for me, you know, some people were trying to shush the kids that were dancing. And to me, I was imagining this guy looking at, I'm getting emotional, mm-hmm. um, looking at the, um, the resurrection of his people, you know, being able to like celebrate and what it must've been like for him. So yeah, yeah, yeah that was powerful. Oh man. I got emotional with you. <laughs> I mean, I can, I, I really can only imagine because he's seen so much and to, to see, you know, people shouting joy and, and enjoying a place that has seen so much turmoil during his lifetime. I mean, I, I can only imagine how beautiful that was. Beautiful. Elena. Yes. Well, I have been discriminated, I think, based on my faith, I guess, based on my scarf, because otherwise you wouldn't know I'm a Muslim. Muslims are from all types and races. But yeah, I think for a female and the same with Daniel, hijab kind of, you know, whatever, whatever religious we have identifies us. Airports are a little bit different in some countries, depending, you know, you can get stopped, you can get questioned. Generally, I think the most I have been said things is in the UK. And it's been local rather than, you know, going to a place I haven't had any major incident, but something like go home, for example, or, you know, you don't belong here or, you know, things like that. But for the most part, people are very welcoming and open. And I think especially in countries where they don't know Muslims or other religions, they're just curious to learn and to know rather than, you know, and and I think sometimes people can perceive their curiosity as invasive or intrusive. But it's mostly curiosity because they haven't seen Muslims. And I find that mostly in Greece where the majority are Christians mm-hmm. and they don't, you know, they don't know how to, you know, what you eat or how you behave, etc. But yeah, I haven't had anything major. I mean, you know, I've heard stories of women being pulled their hijabs or being asked to remove their hijabs in front of people in the airport, which are traumatizing things, especially for sure, you know, for a Muslim female traveling by themselves. And it does create like a fear or insecurity of why you you would expect mm-hmm. as well yeah can you explain some of the cultural aspects of your religion that you really take pride in for example the food traditions customs that you can tell me and how you carry that with you when you travel the world rabbi daniel yeah so just to touch on maybe two of the major tenets of jewish faith is keeping kosher what we eat, certain kinds of, of meat and, and the way the animal is, is prepared and not mixing meat and milk and different things like that. And then there is Shabbat, which is Friday night for us, Friday night to Saturday night. And it is a time where we completely unplug and we don't drive. We don't use our technology. We, we just kind of be. Six days, we're hustling and we're creating and we're impacting the world. And the seventh, we are in the level of being. For traveling, I would say that those two can be extremely challenging. Uh, you can imagine with kosher, yeah. you know, wherever you go, there's a lot of challenges in how to keep it. You know, you go to like um, the big cities like Rome or London, you try to stock up on all the kosher food. And then when you go off into the faraway places, either you go vegan. We're, the Jews are the only people, this is my joke, when you go on a cruise, you lose weight. <laughs> So, so, and Shabbat, I mean, imagine like sometimes you're arriving at a hotel or some place like right as Shabbat's coming in and you have to pay. So my, you know, you, you throw, you put a credit card, you put something, you're like, listen, take care of this. I can't, I need to get this done. 
if your light goes off or things go off, you need help from the staff to do it. And you're not supposed to tell them directly how to do it. There's a lot of funny stories that occur. One just cool story that happened to us once. We were in Italy as a family and we needed a place for Shabbat. It was Friday afternoon and everything was booked in Rome. We got a message from the local rabbi. He said, there's an Italian family with a with a villa outside of Rome, and they need the 10 men to make the quorum. You have to have 10 men to make a minion. It's considered like a holy thing. You got to have that for prayers. And they're like, they're three short. Do you want to go? And we just looked at each other. We're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so we, we drove up to Prigene, which is like 45 minutes outside of Rome by the water. It was just such an amazing experience to be with an Italian family and celebrate Shabbat with them. And because we have that Shabbat kosher, we have those things with us, you find connection around the world. Even like I was in China and there's a lot of Israeli businessmen and like Israeli backpackers. Mm -hmm. And you go to Thailand or these places and you find, you build community wherever you are because of Shabbat and because of the holidays and even kosher, they've got kosher restaurants. So it just kind of connects you. You feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. You don't have family. You don't know anybody. And then kind of like if you're an American, you see a Starbucks like in the middle of like <laughs> you know, middle of nowhere. You're like home or like. Don't do us that dirty, sorry. Daniel, please. Rabbi Daniel, please don't just equate Starbucks to the American people because some of us like pink coffee. OK, fair enough. <laughs> Layla and I are cracking up over here. <laughs> Starbucks equal Americans. We're like, shucks. No, it's not at all. Didn't mean that. I'm teasing. It's all good, hun. And Elena, share some of the things that you take pride in as far as your culture is concerned. Wow. I thought we have challenges, but wow, Daniel. <laughs> you've got halal. You've got halal. You've got your stuff. Yeah, but come on. I mean, I think it goes back to whenever I travel, even in the smallest places, they have always been Muslims. There's always a little small halal shop. We we have to eat halal, which is, you know, the way it's slaughtered and it's prepared. And it's a challenge in some places. I mean, you know, places that don't have many Muslims, you want. But in major cities, it's very easy to find halal food. And even in the smallest places in Italy, I have found, you know, I booked a hotel one night and... I woke up, I walked out, and the next door shop was a halal butcher shop. I was like, okay, we're not going to go hungry. But we as Muslims, we have the, the additional kind of challenge of prayers. So we do have to pray five times a day. During travels, this is even more interesting than actually finding halal. I think especially for me, because I can go vegan, I can go vegetarian, I can eat fish, I don't mind. But for prayer, ideally, you want somewhere secluded that you can concentrate, that you can pray. And, you know, we've prayed in airports, train stations, you name it. But it becomes an interesting challenge to find a place where you can play. So I usually always plan my travels throughout the day based on the prayer times. Or if there is a mosque somewhere near where you can pray. We used to pray in changing rooms, but now the music is too loud. You can't even hear your own thoughts. So that kind of, you know, got <laughs> dismissed really fast. But in generally, I mean, culturally, Islam is a very, it's a very mixed religion. When you think of Islam as a, you think of a culture of Arabs, but uh, the biggest Muslim country is Indonesia, for example, uh, which has a totally different culture mm -hmm. true. than Arab Muslims or Middle Eastern Muslims or North African Muslims or even European Muslims. Is there any place that either of you have traveled where you are pleasantly surprised to find a Muslim or Jewish community? I would say that I guess the most kind of shocking or, or cool for me was in Asia to go to 
Thailand. I did, we did a trip to Thailand, China, Hong Kong, and Japan. And the Chabad Hasidic movement, which is a, a group within the Hasidic movement in Judaism, they are very focused on outreach. So they will set up synagogues in the middle of nowhere. I myself actually signed up for Passover services to uh, volunteer. And that means they could send me anywhere. So for two Passovers, I was signed up on the list. I looked on the computer to see where I was going. It could be anywhere in the world. First year, I was sent to uh, Ukraine, southeastern Ukraine, and the second year to northeastern Estonia. I think we did the Passover Seder in a local Jewish woman's bar that she owned. We had a, a Passover Seder, like some drunkards fighting outside. We walk in, we've got a translator, you know, like we got the, the local press because it's like never happens. And and what was very touching for me was that for a lot of these like Jews in the area, they all congregated. And this was their only experience of the year. There's no rabbi, there's no synagogue, there's nothing. They save up their questions for for when the rabbi is going to come once a year. So it was very powerful for me to go to far-flung places and see that there's there's a desire, there's a thirst, there's still a remnant of, of Judaism alive in these places. That's pretty amazing. I thought you were going to say, I know that you you celebrated Shabbat at Coachella, and I was going to oh, say- Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that, that could be a very um, interesting place to find a, a huge community where you can celebrate Shabbat. I will say that's powerful too, because when you're not in the synagogue setting- and you're just out in the open like that, people are so much more open to connecting. I was very naive. So I'm like, wow, everyone's so like happy and open to talking about spirituality with me. I'm like, they're probably on LSD or mushrooms. I just didn't know. <laughs> so I'm like, everyone's like, you know, they're on ecstasy and they're so happy. Okay. But, but to be real, a lot of them were, were just open because, you know, I thought I was being so new age with what I was doing. And then I realized that Judaism began that way. Abraham and Sarah set up a tent oh. in the middle of the desert with food and drink. And we're like, passerby came and they would have deep conversations with them. That was literally how it began. So it was like full circle coming back around. So you're saying that that was the original Coachella. Burning Man Coachella. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love that. So what is next on each of your travel bucket list? All right. Currently, I'm in Bulgaria. Next stop, hopefully for our family will be uh, moved to Saudi Arabia. My husband has a job there, so we're just moving for his work. But we're obviously waiting for borders to open. And so our life is pretty much packed up and ready to go. We're just waiting for the country to open for us. And Rabbi Daniel? So I might not be far behind because oh. with the United Arab Emirates making peace with Israel and Saudi Arabia thinking about it, maybe I can join you there in Saudi Arabia, yeah. Dubai and all that. Yeah, I think we're coming in a very interesting time in that respect. But I had a trip planned before COVID hit, which was Iceland, Sardinia, Corsica, yeah. Sicily, yeah. and then a young professional trip to Morocco and then Israel. So it was like going to be amazing. Woo! And then the pandemic came. Everybody's plans halted. Totally. And you know what? We should all appreciate the next time we get out, we'll be able to really, you know, appreciate what, what we have. Oh, I love that. Thank you both so much for being here. I mean, it's like, I don't even know like what to say or where to start because this conversation is so important because you always hear about like people in jest, you know, a Muslim and a Jew walk into a bar. And in this case, we have a Muslim and a Jew on the Let's Go Together podcast. And I think that that is so beautiful that, you know, people always want to separate 
our world so heavily based off religious beliefs and things like that. But at the end of the day, we are all people and there's some commonalities between us all. We all love our family. We all want, you know, we believe in something higher than ourselves. And I think that's beautiful. So thank you both for being here today. Thank you so much for having us on. And and I just want to say that meeting each other, like when that's the best way to peace. 100%. I agree. Thanks so much to Elena Nikolova and Rabbi Daniel Bortz for sharing their adventures with us. You can find Elena on Instagram at Muslim Travel Girl or visit her website, MuslimTravelGirl.com. To learn more about Rabbi Daniel, check him out on Instagram at Millennial Rabbi and his website, RabbiBortz.com. That's all for this episode of Let's Go Together, a podcast by Travel and Leisure. I'm your host, Kelly Edwards. We'll be taking a short break after this episode, but we'll be back in the new year with more great guests sharing their stories celebrating diversity in travel. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Eliza Lambert, Jamila Zara-Williams, Lena Beck-Sillison, and Susie Armitage. And thank you to our digital executive editor, Deanne Kozerski at Travel and Leisure. This show was recorded in Los Angeles, edited in New York City, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more at travelandleisure.com slash podcast. You can find Travel and Leisure on Instagram at Travel and Leisure, on Twitter at Travel Leisure, on TikTok at Travel and Leisure Mag. And you can find me, your host, Kelly, at Kelly Set Go. And that's Kelly with three E's.